inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. Hello, everyone. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thank you for listening to my podcast about horse training and equestrian sports. Be sure to hit subscribe. That way you won't miss a single episode. You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts. If you get a chance, please give this podcast a rating and leave me a review. It helps me out a lot, and it helps other horse lovers find this podcast. And to my loyal listeners, thanks for the great reviews you've been leaving. I really enjoy reading your comments, so keep them coming. Since the last time we recorded... I spent a week in Miami at a big conference for television producers and executives. Um, It was great, first of all, to be in Miami Beach in January. And second of all, it was just a fabulous event, a sort of whirlwind occasion, met with lots of different people from different networks and different production companies. And We're in development of a new TV series called Horse Life with Julie Goodnight. It's a show about the fascinating places and people, the culture and history, all surrounding horses in this country and all over the world. Uh, We're really excited about this series and hopeful it's going to be on the air soon, so I'll keep you posted on that. Right now, I'm approaching my busiest travel season of the year. I've got horse expos coming up in Tennessee, uh, Pennsylvania, Oregon, Wisconsin. All of these are sure to be great events. I love doing horse expos because it's a time I get to meet face-to-face with all, all of my followers and all of the fellow horse lovers out there. And... I really enjoy doing the training demonstrations and the clinics that I put on. So if you're anywhere near Tennessee, Pennsylvania, Oregon, or Wisconsin coming up this spring, be sure to check out one of those great expos. You can find out more on my website at juliegoodnight.com. I'm also doing some awesome clinics and riding vacations this year. Coming up, we've got the Women's Riding and Wholeness Retreat at the Sea Lazy U Ranch. I co-teach that with Barbara Schulte, uh, my dear friend and mentor, and we have a great time at that. It's a five-star, luxurious guest ranch. We fill the place up with like-minded women who want to pursue their riding goals and also just sort of work on becoming a better person, feeling more confident and stronger in your life. Check that out at juliegoodnight.com slash clazyu. I'm also doing three other programs at clazyu this year. I've got the ranch riding adventure in September. Barbara Schulte and our husbands uh, and myself are co-teaching a couples riding retreat. This is a fabulous riding vacation in the Rocky Mountain for uh, couples and that's going to be a fun time and then I'm doing also a horsemanship immersion program it's going to be education based hands-on experiential on horse training behavior health fitness uh, riding and bits and saddle fitting all that kind of stuff so that's going to be a fun program also at the Sea Lazy U website And I'm super excited to be going back to Ireland this year 
for a trip with the Connemara Equestrian Escapes. I did this, let's see, back in 2018. I went with my husband, a group of friends, and we had this uh, fabulous two trips. Actually, I I was the guest uh, clinician on, and it's a riding and cultural tour of Ireland where you get to ride these fabulous Connemaras. Well, they call them ponies, but they're big. Uh, not my my idea of a pony, but bigger than that. And then, of course, a lot of them are crossed with the Irish draft horse. So they have horses of all sizes and ability levels. And you do a beautiful ride in the morning, and we do some clinicking in the middle of the day. And then we do cultural tour in the afternoon and hit the pubs usually. And uh, it's a fabulous trip. It also includes riding on the beach in Ireland. So anyone for whom riding in Ireland is on the bucket list, you for sure want to check this trip out. Again, you can check out my entire schedule online at juliegoodnight.com. Today's topic is canter with confidence. We'll talk about the mechanics of the gait, how to cue, how to ride it, how to set your horse up for the correct lead. We'll even talk about controlling and refining the canter. And we'll address the issue all of you advanced riders want to hear about, the flying lead change. By the way, this is the subject of my best-selling training video by the same name, Canter with Confidence. It's volume four in my Goodnight Principles of Riding series. And you can find it streaming at shop.juliegoodnight.com. Cantering in general is certainly a popular topic that riders everywhere are interested in. So now it's time to sit back and enjoy the ride. Plus, we've got some brand new questions to answer straight from our listeners in the What the Hey Q&A segment at the end of this podcast. Today's podcast is all about the canter. It is one of the most exciting gates of the horse to ride. It is really fun and exhilarating and sort of what we all imagine when we think of riding horses. But on the other hand, it's also one of the most fear-inducing gates in riders. And most riders in most clinics that I do, there are you know fully half of the riders in the clinic that are very nervous about cantering, reluctant to canter, avoiding the canter. And then there's usually half of the group that can't wait to canter. All they want to do is canter and can't get enough of the canter. So I get it why it's a fear-inducing gait. It is, uh, first of all, it is, uh, has the most impulsion of all three gates of the horse. And it is also the uh, closest thing to the flight response that we ask the horse to do. In other words, at that moment, you're cueing the horse to take off into the canter. In, in some ways, you're cueing that horse for flight. And so it can also feel that way to your horse. Sometimes when there's a little something wrong with the horse, he's nervous, he's maybe got a little soreness or an ache and pain you're not aware of, a saddlefish issue, or just a little something nagging at him. And or maybe he's nervous in a new place, um, new rider or whatever. And so he's already sort of close to having an emotional meltdown. And then you ask him to canter and it finishes the job because in that moment, it sort of feels like to him, you know, you're pushing him into flight. So cantering is a big subject. It is, while it is 
you know, one of the most fun things you can do on a horse. It is also can be one of the most frightening. And so as all thing with all things having to do with confidence, the more you know and the better your skills are, the more confidence you have and the less you have to worry about fear. So that's my goal today to try to fill you in on as much information as I can about riding the canter. And hopefully there'll be a little something for everyone, all ability levels. Even if you've never cantered a horse, there's going to be some important information for you to think about. And for those of you that are experienced equestrians, hopefully you'll find some great information in terms of training your horses and preparing your horses for lead changes and all that exciting stuff. So first of all, I think it's super important to understand the mechanics of the gait, how the horse's feet move, how his body moves, and how consequently your own body moves in the canter. So the footfalls of the canter are complicated. It's the most complicated of the three natural gaits of the horse. By the way, the natural gaits of the horse are walk, trot, and gallop. The canter is a slow, collected gallop. And it is a gait we impose upon the horse or we train into the horse. He was born with sort of one speed and that's, you know, full out, you know, run like a bat out of hell. And he, uh, the, so the canter is a slow controlled gallop and we teach him to do that through training. But the footfalls of the canter um, are complicated. For one reason, it is a three-beat gait, so it has a rhythm of three beats, and yet the horse has four legs, so the horse's legs are moving in a complicated pattern for that reason. Secondly, it's the only gait in which the pattern of footfall changes when the horse changes directions, and we refer to that as leads. So when the horse is going on the left lead and both his left hind leg and left foreleg are reaching out further in front of the right legs and he's turning to the left then his footfalls are as follows he pushes off into the stride with his right hind leg the second beat of the canter is the inside diagonal pair so in this case that would be the left hind and the right fore hit the ground at the exact same time. And then the third and final beat of the canter is the leading foreleg or the left foreleg. There's a moment in time when his entire body weight is suspended on that leading foreleg and then he comes into full suspension, meaning all four feet are off the ground and the whole pattern of footfall starts over again, outside hind, inside diagonal pair, leading foreleg. And so as long as he's moving in a direction to the left and on the left lead, that's the pattern of footfall. But when he changes direction, he will also change his leading legs, both hind and front, into the right lead and the pattern of footfall reverses. So the Stride begins with the left, for the right lead, begins with the left hind foot. That's always the case. The horse pushes off into the canter with the outside hind leg. That's the part that's important for you to remember. And then uh, the remainder of the stride of the canter is the inside diagonal pair and the leading foreleg. 
It's important for you to know the footfalls of the canter because it relates to how and when you cue the horse. Also, it's important for you to understand the mechanics of how the horse is moving his body because it relates to how you ride the gait and how you feel which lead your horses on. Leads are actually quite easy to feel from the saddle. Unfortunately, most riders are taught to look down at the shoulders of the horse to see what lead their horse is on. I never teach people to do that. I think it's a very bad habit to fall into from the beginning because it's totally unnecessary. It's easy to feel leads. When your horse is on the right lead at the canter, both his right front and right hind are reaching farther forward than the left legs. So underneath you where you're sitting, his back is crooked in such a way that the right side of his back is is in front of the left side of his back because he's reaching further forward with those two right legs. Consequently, you can feel that when you sit the canter, you can feel your inside hip or your right hip if the horse is on the right lead or your left hip if, you're, if your horse is on the left lead. You can feel that hip in front of the other one. You can feel the crookedness in the horse's back. There's a secondary way you can tell which lead your horse is on. And that is because when he's on the right lead, he not only reaches further forward with the right legs, he also picks them up higher. And so his back underneath you where you're sitting is also crooked laterally from side to side. And the inside of his back muscles are higher raised up and the outside is dropped down. And so you feel that crookedness in your hips as well. So two different feelings that you get to determine which lead your horse is on is when he's on the right lead, you'll feel your right leg and your right hip in front of the left hip. And when he's on the right lead, you'll feel your weight in the left or outside stirrup. So you feel your weight in your left seat bone and left stirrup because as he picks up the right side of his body, you are also sort of lifting the right side of your body a little bit. So understanding the mechanics of the footfalls are important, understanding what you're feeling underneath you. Um, As I mentioned earlier, the canter is a three-beat rhythm. Dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun. There is a moment of suspension between every stride. And unlike the trot, the canter is a rocking front-to-back motion. And so with the trot, you're primarily, um, as the horse moves a lot vertically up and down, you as a rider are also moving a lot vertically up and down. We move forward and back as we post. Um, so the, the trot has a lot of vertical and forward and back movement while the canter is a rocking motion. It's a motion like pushing a swing. And in the canter, you must sit way farther back than you do at the trot. So one of the biggest hints I can give people that are just learning to canter is to try sitting a little bit behind the vertical. We get so tuned in or so prone to leaning forward, especially when we think the horse is going to go fast. But when you get in front of the motion of the horse at the canter, 
when he comes into suspension, when he, when he comes out of that third beat of the canter, he's going to throw you up into the air as if you were posting. So if you will sit back, get your hips a little bit behind your shoulders, so even think of sitting a little bit behind the vertical, and imagine you're pushing a swing, you're pushing a swing to go higher, that's the motion of riding the canter. Next, I want to talk to you about the cue for canter. And like many, many things in horse sports, there are a lot of different cues to canter. And I'm not going to go into every possible way you could cue your horse. I'm just going to talk to you about the way I teach people to cue, the way I train my horses, which is, by the way, the most common way. And that is because it is the most classical way. So remember when we're talking about classical horsemanship, we're talking about that knowledge that dates back three to 5,000 years and, uh, or I should say four to 5,000 years. And it's what we know of today is dressage. And it is sort of the basis of everything that we know about riding. And so in, it, in classical riding is very, very much based on what I was just talking about, which is the mechanics of the way the horse moves, how that correlates to the way the rider moves. And also, most importantly, how you use your natural aids, your seat, legs, and hands, and voice to communicate the horse and guide him in the direction and for the speed that you want, including transitions, which require cues to move from one gate to another or to change speeds within a gate, either up or down. So the cue for the canter, um, first of all, what is most important is for any cue that you give a horse is that he is alert and listening and prepared that a cue is coming. So we don't expect our horses to be 100% vigilant to our demands every second of every ride. Um, horses' minds are not that, we hope they're not that busy. We want that horse to relax. We want him to not have to think too hard about what he's doing. And so, and he doesn't like thinking. Thinking is, is hard work for your horse. So I, because I want my horse to always be relaxed and um, not be anticipating, not be anxious about what's coming next, I always want to give my horse a fair warning that a cue is coming. So we do that by gently gathering up the reins at the same time. You're softly closing both legs on the horse. You're coming to attention in your body. You're sitting up nice, straight, and tall. You're checking your own position to make sure you're sitting in a balanced manner. And as you do all of that, the horse automatically is going to lift his neck up, put his ears back on you, and get prepared for what's coming next. So Every horse is different in how much time he takes to prepare for a given cue. And whether that's a go cue or a stop cue, cue to walk or trot, or the cue to canter, you need to know that about your horse. How, how long does it take for him to prepare? And so for a quick, forward, busy-minded, sensitive horse, it might be a fraction of a second. For a you know, lazier, insensitive, slower type horse, or a, a young, edu uneducated horse that, that really needs a minute to think, 
then uh, you might take a little longer. It might take four or five, uh, maybe even 10 seconds. So we gather that horse and prepare him for a cue. We don't give him the cue until he's listening and prepared to respond. So the cue to canter is complicated because we have to tell the horse two things at once. We have to tell him which gate we want, which is the canter, but we also have to tell him which lead we want, right or left. And so, in other words, when you ask that horse to trot, there's only one option, trotting. And so it doesn't matter which direction he's going, it doesn't matter which foot he strikes off with, the trot is the trot, and the footfalls don't change. But with the canter, because the footfalls change, we have to ask the horse always for one lead or the other. And so the, the cue is going to address both of those things, so which gate you want and which lead you want within that gate. And so after I've gathered my horse up, shortened my reins, um, closed my legs on him a little bit, sat up straight, brought my horse to attention, he lifted his neck, his ears are slightly back on me, now I'm ready to tell him what I want. So like any good cue, you want to use your aids in a sequence. And the actual sequence of the aids that you use are, are up to you. What's important is that you use the same aids in the same sequence every time you cue the horse. If you are systematic in the cue that you give, the horse will know it by the second time you've given it. If it takes a long time for a horse to learn a cue, that's because you're messy about giving cues and he's, he's unable to nail down any sort of consistent pattern in, in your cueing. So you, you wanna really make sure you've thought through what your cues are, you know how to apply them, you apply your aids in a sequence and with a timing relevant to your horse's training. In other words, um, my sequence of the aids in the canter cue are outside leg, inside rein. I make a little kiss and then push with the seat. And um, if I am giving that cue to a very young green horse that maybe I've only cantered once or twice before, uh, he doesn't really know the cue, he's just learning it. The timing between the sequence of those aids would be like this. Outside leg, inside rein, okay now, and push. Whereas if I were riding that finished horse that you know could do it in his sleep, very high performing horse, that the timing between the sequence of the aids would be almost simultaneously. So be like leg run seat and off we go. Or that horse often, when we use sequences in our cues and the horse comes to fully learn the cue, he often departs on the very first part of the sequence. So that's that super finished horse that when you just touch him with your outside leg, he steps right into a canter. So the first part of that cue is the outside leg. You're going to reach back about six inches, give a little pulsating nudging pressure with your Achilles tendon and your heel long. That's really important. Keep your heels long. Nudging pressure with the Achilles tendon. And what that does is it asks the horse to step his hips to the inside. So 
it, this is a very, very important part of your cue because it sets the horse up to correct to take the correct lead. So remember, if we're cueing our horse for the right lead versus the left lead, then he's going to push off with his left foot. So to take the right lead, he pushes off with his left hind. To take the left lead, he pushes off with his right hind. And so in order for the take the horse to take the correct lead, what I want to do is set him up to come haunches in so that his left hind foot, if I'm cueing the horse to go to the right, so that his left hind foot is in the same track as his right forefoot. That's haunches in. And from this position, he can only take the right lead because all of his weight is on his left foot already. So he has to push off with it. So the first part of my cue, the first part of the sequence is outside leg, reach back six inches, nudging pressure, bring the horse haunches in. Right after that, sometimes even the same time, and you might have a horse that you want to do this before you do the leg and haunches in, and that is that I'm just going to slightly elevate the inside rein. So in this case, it's going to be the right rein. I'm cueing for the right lead. So I'm going to slightly elevate the right rein, making sure at the same time I'm elevating my right shoulder because what I'm asking the horse to do is elevate his right shoulder. By the way, I'm not pulling back on the rein in any way, shape, or form. I'm only uh, causing a slight elevation of my inside hand and shoulder. This will at the same time cause me to automatically shift my weight to the outside stirrup, which is the position my body is in when the horse takes the right lead. So the second part of the cue is a slight elevation of the inside rein, and that asks the horse to lift his inside shoulder at the same time it positions the rider in the correct balance for that lead. And then the next thing, the third part of the cue, it's actually the third and fourth part together. I always throw a little voice cue in, and I always use the kissing sound. And I do that right before I push with my seat. And to me, the voice cue is just to help the horse. It's, I only use the kissing sound for canter. Um, if, if in that moment the horse is going, I think she's asking for canter. I think this is the canter. And then I go, he's like, yeah, canter. And um, so I think of the voice cue as a hint. It's not a necessary part of the cue. It's just helping my horse think in the right direction. The actual cue to step into the canter comes when I rock my seat, I curl my seat, and rocking it in the, in the pushing motion like I'm pushing a swing. So the motion that your hips make in the canter when the horse is cantering is that your hips make a circle. They go forward and down, and they lift up and back as the horse comes into suspension, and then again, you push forward and down like you're pushing a swing, and then you lift up and back. And so that motion of pushing forward and down with your hips, to me, that's the actual cue to my horse to step into the canter now. And um, so again, just as, as a review to put all of that together, 
I'm going to wake my horse up by shortening the reins slightly or just coming to a soft contact in my hands. At the same time, I want a soft contact with my both my legs. At the same time, I'm sitting up straight, coming to a proper position. All of that is in preparation for the cue. As soon as I detect my horse is ready for the cue, I'm going to use my outside leg slightly back, nudging pressure to bring the horse haunches in. I'm going to slightly elevate the inside rein and then kiss and push with my seat. Now, the next thing that's got to happen is I've got to ride the canter. And so there's sort of this, when we're teaching people to canter for the first time, there's a little bit of a dilemma as to what we teach first. Do we teach the cue or do we teach them how to ride the horse once the horse is cantering? And there's really no good answer to this question because if I teach you the cue and you've never cantered a horse before, but I teach you the cue so well that that horse just immediately launches off into a canter and then you have no idea how to ride it, what happens is bad for both you and the horse because you're going to lose your balance, you're going to jerk the horse in the mouth, you're going to slam down on his back, and you're probably going to fall off. That scares the horse just as much as it scares you. So for that reason, I actually prefer to teach a rider how to ride the canter before we ever worry about cueing and leads. And the reason why I can do that is I'll, I'll find some way to cue the horse um, from the ground or either from another horse. If I'm teaching a lesson on a school horse, most, most good, good old school horses, um, the instructor is able to set the horse up and, and cue him from the ground. Um, I want that rider to experience the canter on a straight line, definitely not on a circle or a turn. I would avoid trying to canter on a lunge line at all costs unless you're a very advanced rider. Anytime we throw a turn into the equation, the balance gets much more complicated. So as you're learning to canter, you want to stay on straight lines. Therefore, one of my favorite ways to teach people to ride the canter is out on the trail. If you can go with two or three horses, three or four horses, and if there's a nice flat uh, stretch of trail with good footing, or better yet, a slightly, slightly uphill section of trail with good footing, then, you know, you can put one horse in front, one horse behind, and we can sort of say, okay, are you ready? One, two, three, canter. And then the horses will just canter as a group. And that's a great way to learn how to ride that canter. It's not hard. What's hard is thinking about it. What's hard is trying to, to control the horse at the canter while you're riding it. So it's good to just get out there and canter. Um, I encourage people just to canter a few strides at a time, come back to a walk, get yourself together and try it again. In my experience, when people have trouble learning to canter, they will canter two, three strides really well and relaxed, but then they slowly start tensing up and bouncing. And the more they bounce, the faster the horse goes and things deteriorate fast. So if you can just go, you know, a few strides, three, four strides, and then come back all the way to a walk, catch your breath, and try it again. Uh, that's the ideal way to learn. One of the most common problems that occurs when people are asking a horse to canter, or learning to canter, or training a horse to canter, or coming back to canter after a fearful episode, 
is that you end up hitting the horse in the mouth at the moment he canters. And this is a terrible, terrible mistake. And so what happens when the horse picks up a canter, um, before he even steps into the canter, he will lift his head, neck, and shoulders to rock his weight back on his hindquarters so that he can push himself forward into a lunging stride. So he first he lifts up and then he lunges forward. And so what happens so often when people are learning to canter or are nervous about the canter is that when they feel that horse lift up and rock back in preparation for that first stride, they tend to go <gasps> and clench the reins and lift their hands and stiffen up at the very moment the horse is lunging forward into the bit. And this is a terrible dilemma for your horse because, number one, it hurts him. When he lunges forward into that bit, into a stiff and gripping hand or a rein that is too short, it hurts his mouth. And it hurts his feelings, too, because he's doing something you asked him to do, and then you punished him for it. That's the way the horse sees it. Horses lose trust in their riders really fast when this happens, and they can ultimately become afraid of the canter departure. And so if you have a horse that when you ask him to canter, he throws his head up in the air and he rushes off into the canter, that's a horse that's been hit in the mouth at the canter departure. And so we it's really critically important when we're teaching um, beginner riders to canter and also when we're coaching nervous riders that we make extra emphasis on releasing the rein and reaching forward, reaching your hands towards the horse's mouth at the moment he departs into the canter. You can sit right back up and take up on the reins after he's in the canter. But with every stride of the canter, your horse's head goes down, down, down. And so with every stride of the canter, the rider has to give a release with her hands forward, forward, forward. So at the canter, your hips make a circular motion. You want to make sure your hands make that same circular motion so that your hands are stretching forward every stride of the canter. And also you want to make sure that you have that same circular rhythm in your heels at the canter so that with every stride of the canter, your heels are flexing down, down, down. So as I push with my seat in, in that pushing a swing motion, I'm pushing all the way through my heels. So your heels are flexing down as you push with your seat. So now that we've thoroughly analyzed cueing the horse, setting the horse up for the correct lead and what leads are, let's talk about departure problems. And so just to clarify, when we talk about the canter departure, we're simply talking about that moment where your horse steps into the canter. So we're not talking about the rest of it. How well does he step into the canter? And for those of you that have been riding for a while, you know that that can be all over the map. You might have one horse that can effortlessly step right into a fully collected canter from the halt without seemingly any kind of cue from the rider. And then all the way down to a, a horse that's barely trained that you got to 
you know, trot, 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 flap your arms, flap your legs, run, 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 run into into the counter in, you know, 15 or 20 strides at trot. So both of those are counter departures. One's really, really good and advanced, and the other one is almost non-existent. And so just talking about departure problems in that moment of the cue, some of the most common problems, um, of course, you know, all of the all of the problems in the horse are caused by the rider, or from a lack of training. Um, again, that's caused from the rider. But so most of the departure problems I see you know, fall into one of these three things. One is simply a lack of preparation for the cue. And so if you just out of the blue blast a canter cue on the horse, it's going to take him a while to figure out to to catch up to your thinking. You know, when we sit on top of that horse and we want him to go, stop, or turn right, or turn left, or do some kind of fancy maneuver, you're thinking about it all the time. You're thinking about what you're going to do next. You're thinking about what you're doing now. You're thinking about turning left. You're thinking about turning right. Your horse has no idea what's coming next. And so when he's going along straight and happy and relaxed, and all of a sudden, yank, you yank the left rein and pull him in a circle without any kind of warning or preparation for that... Um, that's rude, and it, it's disruptive to the horse, and it's really disrespectful to the horse in my mind. And so a lack of preparation and and a, uh, a failure on the part of the rider to recognize when the horse is ready for the cue. Recognize, is the horse listening to me? Is the horse physically set up correctly to do whatever it is I'm asking him to do, which in this case is canter on the correct lead? Do I physically have him set up properly in order to do that? Or am I asking him to do something that's physically impossible, like canter on the left lead when his hips are way to the right? I see people do it all the time. And so um, a lack of preparation can be a big problem in your departures, especially if you're dealing with a trained horse. Now, if you over-prepare that trained horse and he feels like he's jumping out of his skin and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for the cue, that's not good either. So we have to adjust our preparation to the needs of the horse in terms of his temperament, in terms of his training level. Another really common problem people have in departures is that the horse goes into a fast trot instead of picking up the canter. And... This is kind of tricky because when we are first training a horse from the very beginning to accept the cues of the rider, he has no idea what you're asking him to do. And so often those first few times, we just sort of end up running the horse into the canter. In other words, we ask him to trot. I still give him the same cue. I'm always going to use the same cue. So I'm still going to, you know, wait till he's positioned correctly in the arena sort of take a little hold of him so he knows I'm about to cue him something and then I'm going to go outside leg inside rein push of the seat it might take me all the way around the arena to accomplish it but I'll by the time I get to the third part of that which is pushing with my seat I'll just keep pushing with my seat push 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 in the rhythm of the canter until the horse finally fumbles into the canter so sometimes the first time you cue the horse to canter it looks like that but very shortly thereafter, I want the horse to come to understand the cue to canter is not the cue to trot faster. Those are two different cues. 
if the horse gives the wrong answer to the cue, you must correct him and say, no, that wasn't right. Try it again and give the cue again. So here's what that looks like. My horse, I've been riding this horse for a while. And every time I ask him to canter, he just trots faster. So I just keep trotting faster until eventually he canters. I have now succeeded in training the horse that the cue to canter means the cue to trot faster. So I would fix that horse in this way. I would set him up, take a hold of him, and set him up to either canter from a walk or from a slow trot, depending on his training level. And then I would give the cue, outside leg, inside rein, push with the seat. If he immediately strikes off into a long trot instead of the canter, I will quickly and abruptly check him up, meaning I sit back, I pick up my hands, I dig my seat in, and I bring him immediately back to the walk or the slow trot, wherever I started from. And then I immediately cue him again. And then, and I, it might take six, seven, eight times, might only take two times, but I'll give the horse the proper cue. If he trots instead of canters or long trot instead of canters, I abruptly bring him back to the walk or trot and immediately re-cue, immediately bring him back, immediately re-cue, and I'll keep the pressure on in that way until the horse seeks another answer. Eventually, the answer is going to be to step into the canter sooner. And at that point, you're going to, you know, loosen up the reins, canter the horse forward, hand gallop him even, praise him, pet him, tell him, yes, 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 that's what, that's what I needed you to do. If you have been trotting into the canter for a long time and the horse is transitioning well from the trot to canter, but you're struggling with the halt to canter, sometimes you just have to say, as of this moment forward, I'm no longer letting you trot before you canter. Sometimes you just have to change the rules and say from this moment forward, you can only canter from the walk. That's the only right answer. And get the horse thinking in a different way. Uh, you can then come back later and work on your trot to canter transitions. But sometimes horses, if we've, if we've asked them to canter from the trot for a long, 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 long time, They've ceased to think about any alternative, so we have to sort of um, force them into thinking about the other alternative um, by disallowing the trot at all. So one more problem I see in, in canter departures is the horse that throws his head up in the air and rushes into the canter. This is almost always caused by being hit in the mouth on the canter departure, and uh, the horse has become afraid of the moment of departure if, um, if, if this sounds like something your horse is doing, throwing his head up in the air and rushing into the canter, and then after three or four strides, he canters real nicely, um, then first, first and foremost, we have to address the rider and make sure that rider is giving the horse a proper release when, when the head comes down, particularly on the departure. And sometimes this can be caused by the rider that came before you or a different rider. If I have a horse that's become afraid of the departure, what I do is um, I, I feel like I have to prove, prove the horse. He can trust me. And so I loosen the reins way up, and I exaggerate as much as I can, moving my hands forward. And then I just as slow motion as possible ease the horse up into the canter uh, with a very, very loose rein. And I do that 
uh, with enough repetition that the horse learns to, to trust the rider again. So those are your departure problems, just the big top three. Um, another big thing people are eager to learn about at the canter is controlling the speed of the canter. Uh, my two favorite exercises there are, first of all, to control speed through bending. And so, first of all, if you have a horse that's too fast at the canter, uh, one of the worst things you can do is try to control his speed with two reins. It, promise me, I promise you, when I tell you that if you try to control the canter by holding on two reins, pulling on two reins, your horse will learn to go faster, not slower. And so what I like to do is in a big, wide open space, just slowly bring that horse onto an arcing circle. So if I'm on the right lead, it would be a circle to the right. Ask him to start bending his neck and, and lifting his shoulders a little bit. And so I'll ask him to come into an increasing amount of bend in his body, and that will slow him down. As soon as I feel him slow down a little bit, I let him go straight. As soon as he starts speeding up, I gently bring him into an arcing circle, and I'm, I slowly bring the arc of the circle smaller and smaller, or the arc of my horse's, you know, so he's arcing more and more and more, uh, until I feel him slow down with effort, and then I let him go straight. That's a great exercise. Uh, I would also uh, include in that the exercise of doing lots of trot to canter transitions. So you can go from a slow sitting trot, go to canter, but only go three or four strides, come back to slow sitting trot, make a circle or something, and then ask for the canter again. Um, you want to do this with repetition, but you only want to go three or four strides, four or five strides, always coming back to a slow sitting trot. And with enough repetitions, your horse will, as soon as you ask him for the upward transition, he'll start thinking about the downward transition. And so he'll automatically gear down. When you feel him anticipating the downward transition, then you want to start adding a few strides at a time. So I might go up to five or six strides before I bring him back to trot, and then eight or ten strides before I bring him back to trot. After a couple of weeks of that, you won't need to do it anymore because the horse will be cantering slowly. So uh, finally, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about lead changes for you advanced riders out there. This is sort of the ultimate goal with the canter is how can we train that horse to change for, from one lead to the other flawlessly uh, with a light cue. And so first of all, you need to understand the difference between simple and flying lead changes. So a simple lead change, sometimes called a drop lead change, is when you transition down to either trot or walk, reposition the horse, and re-cue him for canter. It's commonly done on a figure eight, but it doesn't have to be. So if I'm making a figure eight, which is um, a right-hand circle and a left-hand circle connected in the middle, um, I'm gonna change leads in the middle. So, I'm, so let's say I'm riding that left-hand circle and then as I approach the middle of my figure eight, I'm going to cue the horse to break down to a collected trot. I'm going to reposition his haunches to the other side, lift the other shoulder rein, and then cue the horse to canter on the other lead. That's a simple lead change. A flying lead change is executed without breaking the horse down. So he changes leads in midair. All 
Horses know how to do a flying lead change. It's a natural movement for the horse. You see them doing it out, running around out in the field all the time. But it is extremely difficult to train the horse and rider to execute flying lead changes together. And it is much more difficult to train that horse to uh, do a flying lead change upon a cue from, from the rider. So um, before I get too far into the flying lead change, let me also say what cross-cantering is. Um, cross-cantering, uh, the, the proper term for it is actually called disunited. And a horse is disunited when he is on one lead in the front and a different lead on the back. And so he's on the left lead in his front legs, but he's on the right lead in his hind legs. It's a mistake. It's not a normal movement for a horse. It's a horse that's gotten confused in his gait, usually because of the rider or the cue. Um, and although some horses can also cross canter because of physical problems, uh, saddle fit problems, um, lameness problems, um, a horse being out of balance. So, you know, it's not only caused by the rider, but cross-cantering is a mistake. You'll know when the horse is cross-cantering because it feels extremely rough. Even if your horse has a rough normal canter, the disunited canter is going to feel really bad. And um, so this is often a, a becomes a problem when people start working on flying lead changes because the horse changes in front but not behind. So one thing I encourage people to do when they are working on lead changes is to only do lead changes organically. Meaning, if you're cantering and working on the left lead canter, after a while of cueing, of cantering on the left lead, it would be normal to switch to the right lead of the horse. So in other words, think about that horse. He's on a long run. Um, when he canters or gallops, the outside hind leg and the inside foreleg do a lot more work than the other two legs. And so if he were going to canter a mile in a straight line, he would still want to change leads every 100, 200 yards in order to, to rest those legs that are working harder. So when you're cantering your horse on the left lead, you know, after a few minutes, He's getting very tired on that lead, and he would very much like to switch to the other lead. So that's what I mean by changing leads organically. So if we can, every time we ask that horse to change leads, it makes sense to the horse why you're changing leads, because I'm changing directions and because you're really tired on that lead. Um, that is a far better result than trying to drill a lead change into a horse. But by tr uh, repetition is not your friend when it comes to lead changes. Do not drill, um, and also turning should not be a part of the cue for a lead change. If you try to turn your horse's head into a lead change, he will almost certainly cross-canter because he'll change leads in front before he changes behind. And ultimately, that finished horse needs to be able to change leads on a straight line, so turning shouldn't. A change of direction helps the horse understand why he's changing leads, but you should be on a straight line in the moment that you cue for the lead change. There are some important prerequisite skills for working on the flying lead change. You need to have 
excellent walk to canter transitions, excellent halt to canter transitions, and your horse needs to pick up the correct lead 100% of the time. You need to be able to do counter-canter departures and counter-canter circles. That means if you're in an arena and you're tracking left on the rail and I ask for the counter-canter, that means you're going to pick up the right lead and canter around the arena on a left-hand track on the intentional wrong lead. Many, you'd be surprised how many well-trained horses will not pick up the counter-canter because they're not, they're not selecting the lead they take based on the rider's cue. They're taking the lead they select based on what they know is the direction they're going. So this becomes counter-canter is an obedience issue first and a balance issue secondly. But I want to be able to do departures and circles on the counter-canter. I want to be able to leg yield, walk, trot, and canter in both directions and be able to do simple changes of leads in one step or less. So in other words, I'm in my simple lead change, maybe it started out being five or six strides of trot before I was able to reposition the horse and re-cue him to canter, but I've brought that all the way down to one step or less. For the rider to be capable of training a horse or executing a trained horse into flying lead changes. The rider needs to be able to feel which lead the horse is on 100% of the time. And furthermore, to be able to feel which lead the horse is about to take. If you can do all that and your horse can do all that, you're ready to be doing flying lead changes. Uh, we cue for the flying lead change um, often from the figure eight. Often we cue for the flying lead change across the diagonal of the arena uh, versus a figure eight. Um, a figure eight is two perfectly round circles connected in the middle with a straight line. When we talk about coming across the diet, changing directions across the diagonal, what we're doing is di riding diagonally across the length of the arena. And then right before I came into the change of direction on the opposite fence is where I would cue the horse for the lead change, either simple or flying. Um, another way that you can cue the horse for the lead change is from the counter canter. And so if I've got that really well-trained horse, he's picking up the counter counter lead for me whenever I ask, and I can, I can bring him in a big wide circle on the counter canter and, and hold it. Um, this is very, very tiring to the horse. So he'll be eager to switch on to the correct lead while he's on that circle. So um, that's what we call cueing from the counter canter. I would use that later on. I, I like to start on the um, coming across the diagonal in my lead changes and, and, and asking the horse to change leads organically, meaning I've just cantered a long time on the left lead and now I'm going to ask him to change to the right. Often I'll go just, you know, 10 or 12 strides and bring him down to a walk and let him rest. And then I'll start back on the right lead. So I'm working now on my, let's say, walk to canter transition. And I'll canter him for a while on the right lead before I ask him for a lead change to the left. So that's what I mean by an organic lead change. And um, so those are the various uh, ways you could work on the cue to um, change leads. Um, so just remember to wait until the horse wants to change leads because he's tired on that lead. And, and 
whenever you can, wait until the horse is thinking about changing leads. So I can always tell when my horse is starting to think about changing leads because he's getting tired. Um, so that's when I want to ask him for one when he's already thinking about it. The cue for the flying lead change is pretty much the same as for the simple lead change, which is pretty much the same for the cue to canter. What we're just going to do is eliminate all the intermediate steps. And when, so in the simple lead change, we first transition the horse back to trot or walk. We then reposition the horse haunches the opposite way. And then we re-cue the horse to canter. At some point, you're just going to eliminate the stop. And you're just going to go, now we're cueing on the right lead in this position. And then I come to center and switch to the left lead uh, without asking the horse to stop. Preparation for the lead change cue is everything. Always do something that lets the horse to know, know I'm about to, to ask you for a lead change. Um, my horses know because before I ask for the lead change, I always exaggerate the balance of the lead I'm in, meaning I put a little extra weight in the outside stirrup and I lift my inside uh, shoulder and leg just a little bit to exaggerate the feel of the lead I'm in. And then about one stride before the lead change, I will lift my weight to center and then re-cue the horse for the opposite lead. And so the sequence for my cue or the preparation for my cue actually started when I exaggerated the lead I was in. You can even leg yield a stride or two in that position and then shift to center and then change leads. So by breaking it down in that sequence, by the time I get to the cue for lead change, the horse already knows what's coming. Well, that was a lot of information on the canter. I hope uh, whether you're just starting out in this endeavor or you've been doing this for a long, long time and are actually to the point where you're training horses and, and competing and doing all that, I hope you found something that will help or something that you can share with someone else. And now it's time for my favorite segment, What the Hey Q&A. We pick a few unique questions from our listeners each month and answer them on the air. We're also looking for listeners to come on the air with me for a live Q&A session over the phone. So if you have a more complicated question about your horse and you'd like to discuss it with me on the air, or if you'd like to submit a written question for the What the Hay segment, please go to my Facebook page at Julie Goodnight Horsemanship or go to juliegoodnight.com podcast and contact us there. And now... Read the first question, Megan. The first question comes from Karen, and she asks, What do you do with a mare who's becoming increasingly more aggressive when you enter her stall? Once you halter her, she's fine. Otherwise, she's a snot. Well, this is a not a common problem, but it happens. A horse that's kept in a stall can sometimes become territorial over his stall. There could be any number of reasons why a horse became territorial and uh, we won't even worry about guessing why that might have happened because who knows and it's sort of academic to guess you know what happened in a horse's past to make him the way he is now if you don't know the answer now you'll probably never know the answer so I wouldn't spend a lot of time thinking about it but nonetheless 
on occasions, horses will become territorial about their stall. And it's in a similar to way a, a dog can get that way when you lock them in a car. A dog that is otherwise friendly and never barks or growls at people, for some reason when you lock them in a car and somebody walks by, they bark and growl. It's kind of like that. So, by the way, in my experience... Not all, but most of the horses that I have encountered that have become territorial have been mares. Now, maybe that's coincidence. Maybe not. Um, so what happens is that when you approach this horse or walk into the stall, they pin their ears, bar their teeth, gesture, nasty gestures at you. Um, often these are well-trained horses, and once you get the halter on, they're fine. So the question is, how do we get rid of that? So one thing is I've, I've learned about horses like this is even though we might not know why the horse has become so resentful, there is a reason, and that's a real emotion. And so a few things I would do. One is I would never just walk right up and barge into this horse's stall. I would walk up and just walk up to the front of her stall where she could see me. I might look down and just wait for a minute. I might turn around and walk away if she is non-reactive to reward her. Um, but before I open the door and walk in, I'm just going to give her a minute to accept my presence and to sort of invite me in. So the next I'll open the door and just stand there, take a breath or two look away, talk to her, ask, you know, hey girl, can I come in? And then when I approached her, I would approach slowly with my eyes down, my shoulders sort of angled away from the horse, kind of dragging my feet. And I, I would just take a slight advance towards the horse and then I would stop and put my hand out, look away and, and wait for her to come to me. If she won't come to me, I'll slowly advance in the same manner, you know, take a step or two closer, turn away, reach my hand out towards her. And then when I finally get up to her, I'll just pat her on the neck for a minute. In other words, I'm, I'm just sort of asking for permission to come into her stall and waiting for her to accept my presence. You might have to push it um, if this is really ingrained behavior, then you might have to do some um, pattern conditioning. So what I would do there is I would, in the same way I just described, very slowly approach. If she started pinning her ears and barring her teeth and gesturing at me, I would just stay there and wait, wait, wait. And when she stopped her gestures and sort of relaxed momentarily, I would turn and walk away. So reward the appropriate behavior and hold your ground when she's gesturing um, ugly gestures. And um, so I, I tend to believe that a horse that is, has become territorial and developed this kind of resentment probably has good reason. And I'm sort of trying to, with my demeanor and my approach. I'm trying to apologize for all of humanity and say, I understand that you are a being. I understand that you have your space and this is your one place of refuge. This is your one place 
of peace and quiet that is your own. And I'm just asking um, for your permission to come in here. And in every horse I've worked with in this regard, and, and by the way, in my whole career, I've maybe six or eight horses I've known to be this way out of thousands of horses. Um, so uh, I've always resolved it in that way. Uh, the worst mare we ever had in training that, that was this way, we instructed everybody that worked at the barn, do not go uh, near her stall if you don't have to, and do not go into her stall if you don't have to. Always give her this kind of time. Um, and and we, you know, we this, this horse had a lot of good reason to be resentful, so we did a lot of other stuff too, but it totally resolved in a short amount of time. Okay, Megan, next question. All right, our next question comes from Christy, and she asks, how do I get my strong-willed mare to respect me in the saddle like she does on the ground? Okay, well, um, I'm just going to have to point out that we're talking about mares now, two mares in a row. How do I get my mare to respect me the same in the saddle as she does on the ground? Well, that's an interesting um, dilemma. And, you know, so I, I'd love to see what's going on there because in general, when we do groundwork with horses and we get a good thing going on a ground with the horse, it improves the riding. And so I'm going to maybe take a guess that you started riding this horse before you started doing groundwork with it. Maybe you bought a well-trained horse, which is awesome. And that horse might've learned to disrespect you as a rider uh, sometimes when a well-trained horse ends up with a novice rider, they if that horse prior to that has only been ridden by professionals or really high-level riders, they notice a big difference right away. And they don't get corrected for things they would have been by a professional rider. And so right away, the horse starts exploring where the boundaries are. They notice the difference right away and they go, oh, wow, hmm, this is different. I've never been able to get away with that before. So... As soon as they start thinking, wow, this, this rider's different, then they start pushing the boundaries. Well, how different is she? Well, what can I get away with? Well, what if I break gate? Well, what if I just don't go? And um, so these things tend to devolve. And so if you're coming to your groundwork after that, um, you know, your horse is sort of already knows the truth about you. If we do groundwork and establish that kind of respectful and authoritative relationship with the horse before you come to riding that horse, then um, that's not likely to happen. So nonetheless, here you are. The horse sounds like does really well for you on the ground. I'd like to see see that. Um, but the horse is does not respect your authority under saddle. So this, I, I guess I would put this into the same category as someone who says they start over with their horse every single day. If you have the kind of relationship with your horse where every day you have to prove something to him, then you are also doing something that is eroding your authority every single day. So you're contradicting yourself. You're countermanding yourself in some way. And the horse knows it, but you don't. And so a common example of that would be the person that does groundwork with their horse and they're moving the horse out of their space yada 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 but then in everyday interaction with the horse they move out of the horse's space all the time without even knowing it and so 
eventually when you go to do groundwork with that horse and you assertively move him out of your space, he starts getting pissy about it because it's like, how come you're acting like this now? But just a little while ago, I bumped right into you and you stepped away. So inconsistency horses tend to get resentful over. Um, So I would guess that whatever's going on in your riding, um, you're, you know, you're able to establish authority over the horse and his actions on the ground, but either your riding skill is not at the level it needs to be to control that horse from the saddle, or you've got nervousness going on, so you're doing, you're giving conflicting signals to the horse and he's not tolerating it. Um, Chances are, I would have to say chances are, in, in all respects, chances are you're making mistakes as a rider. Um, you're contradicting yourself in some way that's causing resentment in the horse or an inability in the horse to respond properly and, and the horse is just um, getting frustrated. So probably working with an instructor or a trainer to to understand what's going on there, you know, just... <laughs> Just reading a question off the internet and and answering it in a recording studio. There's there's so there's you know there's thousands of factors that could come into play here. So you're going to need somebody to watch you, somebody with an experienced eye to watch you and see what it is you're doing to erode your own authority with the horse. But don't stop doing the groundwork because that's important. We just got to figure out uh, what's going on to deteriorate the relationship under saddle. Thank you, everyone, for joining me for a fun and interesting conversation all about the canter. Who knew one gait could be so complicated? I hope you found some good tips for you and your horse. And don't forget to check out my number one best-selling training video, Canter with Confidence, at shop.juliegoodnight.com. Next month, we'll tackle another horse training subject to help you find the solutions you need to make your horse life better. Be sure to hit subscribe now so you don't miss a single episode. I really enjoy sharing my horse care and training experience with you, and I'd love to hear from you what topics you're interested in. Thank you for all the submissions you've sent already for podcast topics and questions for the Q&A segment. You may have even heard your suggestions or questions reflected in this episode. This podcast is for you, the listener, and we love hearing from you. So if you have questions, podcast topics you'd like for me to address, or if you'd like to participate in a call-in podcast with me, please message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email me at podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Thanks again for your awesome comments and for the five-star ratings. It helps me out a lot, and it helps us rise in the rankings so more horse lovers, just like you and me, can find this podcast. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening, and don't forget, enjoy the ride. visit juliegoodnight.com academy for more in-depth training advice. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate your good review on iTunes so more horse lovers just like you can find my podcast. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to enjoy the ride.